correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Hello and welcome to OpCast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. Our podcast is in-depth reviews of the books covering everything from the first edition to the newest story path edition of the Trinity Continuum, including Aeon, Aberrant, Adventure, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Chaz. I'm one of your hosts, Scott. I'm one of the hosts, Josh. Today, we'd like to shout out another member of the D20 Radio Network, the Shared Sagas podcast. Shared Sagas is an Australian RPG actual play podcast. They alternate between longer campaigns and shorter games and have just started doing a run of Trinity Continuum APs, starting with the quick start for Trinity Continuum Full Core. They're a great crew to listen to, and now they're doing Trinity, so go check them out. Find Shared Sagas and all the other great shows of the D20 Radio Network at d20radio.com. So, what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the aberrant first edition storyteller screen. With not a screen. That is such a lie for a name. It is a book. It is an 80-page book. <laughs> it is an 80-page book that accompanied the storyteller screen. Oh boy, <laughs> this one. Josh, Chaz, listeners, you know that I am a huge apologist for first edition. I, every time people mention like, oh, it didn't age very well, or, oh, there's some, some, some cruddy stuff in there, I, I tend to take that with a grain of salt and kind of nod my head with the, the wizened age of nostalgia. I reread this book last night, and the scales have been lifted from my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like this book, like 18-year-old me would have loved this book unironically, entirely page to page. Almost 42-year-old me wants to have a chat with 18-year-old me. <laughs> rereading this one um not saying that it's like absolutely horrible and without merit but it has not aged well at all no not by any stretch of the imagination before we dive into it i I think i think it is worth noting that i think as teenagers we all ate up everything produced by white wolf of the late 90s and early 2000s and looking back they were very much taking the cookie cutter approach to storytelling all edge and no point i think in in to in this day and age paradox's version of world of darkness has kind of taken up that mantle and those of us who have a broader perspective have kind of looked at it a little bit sideways in the places where they've taken that approach because it's it's trying to recapture that that edgy feel of old white wolf and that just doesn't land well anymore the audience is older and wiser in some cases but more importantly i think we live now in an era where people are more generally aware and that makes some of the the edginess just feel cringy so i guess with all of that in mind why don't we talk about what's in this book yeah, it starts off with Viasoft. Viasoft being a, I can't believe they didn't get copyright issues with this. Yeah. A, a merger of Viacom and Microsoft. And it talks about how these two media conglomerates ended up 
becoming the same company. It gives you like an in-world description of that merger and that fine. That's yeah, okay. That's, that's mostly like funny from a, from like a retrospective perspective, like, Oh, this, because huge conglomerate mergers are a thing that happens. Like there have been mergers on this scale that have happened since the production of this book. It's not completely out of line of that this something like this might have happened because it absolutely has happened. It's just funny because looking back on it, it didn't happen. Things went differently. And some of the implications and ideas about what these two companies were getting up to, not exactly accurate, but not unfeasible. Yeah, there's a lot of corporate espionage that they are involved in. And by corporate espionage, I mean literal espionage, not just like taking mm-hmm. in and trying to get corporate information from other people. They are killing people and things of that nature to get an edge on their competitors. And so it's like, hmm, this is an interesting take on the horrors of capitalism for sure. Yes, that, that is something that will, will come up uh, a little bit more later is the horrors of capitalism angle, which I think I mentioned to it in our chat. I really wish they had gone more with that from a, why these shadowy things are bad and not the, the crappy sterilization plot. If they had gone, gone hard with how Utopia is infected by the, the needs of capitalism as for why they're the bad organization that should be opposed by other factions... I would have been much more on board with it. Yeah. And they give you enough of that in this storyteller screen to do that sort of story if you want to, but it's definitely, it's definitely interesting uh, and certainly a take. It is certainly a take and a very, as you mentioned, all edge, no point kind of take. Then we get Novation Enterprises, which is a Utopia affiliate company, which does like toys and comic books and TV shows all based off of Nova's primarily ones associated with Project Utopia. It is very much the marketing toyetic brand of Project Utopia and Nova brand marketing, brand management. And I I got the vapors reading a section. I think it was the same one that you mentioned, Josh, about the, the toy line of a Nova who had died. They have a, a- I'm going to just spoil this because if you want to read this part, you're really kind of a glutton for punishment anyway, I think. But they have a toy and a set of comic books that are written about this particular Nova character, a Nova, Nova figure who dies in real life in the, in the setting, dies in real life. And they decide to run a comic book story using the term accurate death wounds. Ooh, yeah. That's the take they took for this. And it's, to be fair, this is just written in a way that you are clearly supposed to be repulsed by this. But wow. Yeah. None of this is glorifying these things. Like it is saying, look at the, the raw face of capitalism and marketing and be horrified by it. It definitely does the where's my Terrigen hat impulse. You, as a, as a, a person that sees at least like the darkness within Project Utopia, it makes you kind of go, if you're a Terrigen in this setting, I can understand that because yeah. it's, which is a little bit different than in the current edition where it's a little bit like, mm, why am I attracted to you? At least because of this terrace idea and some mm-hmm. of the chrysalis and things like that, that's attractive, at least from an in-world perspective, but there's less clear indications that Project Utopia 
is bad. And in first edition, Project Utopia was bad to the core and just pretended to be good on the surface. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's more interesting if both Utopia and Terrigen have good intentions and are gray in their methods and compromises, because then then there's room for you as the player characters to like make a stand and a change for good in either organization. And that that kind of gets at something that I've thought about why the edginess of old White Wolf worked back when it worked and doesn't work today. And, and just hearing some of these things kind of makes me think about this is that in the, the late 90s, I, I think there was very much a public perception of things in the world going well. There's the whole idea of the myth of the end of history. But I think there was also a feeling of malaise. And that certainly started before the 90s, but but a feeling that things were just, just a little wrong. And, and corporate power was certainly part of that. And so taking an almost satirical take on that, which uh, White Wolf of the Day very much did, I, I think made, made you think, if you will. Made you say, yeah, this is, this is exactly the kind of thing that's wrong. Um, but today, where a, a lot of those societal ills are very much more mask off than they were in the late 90s, it's harder to see the satirical version of that as being poignant. And I think it's much more effective to take the, I wouldn't quite call it hope punk approach, but hopeful approach that modern Trinity Continuum does. And so that might be the lens to look back at some of this older material, especially when it gets into this, what feels like very over the top space is that it, it was a different message for a different era. What do you guys think about that? And then I guess we can get back to the yeah, I, I absolutely think you're right. I think that the times have changed and a lot, like you said, a, lo a lot of things are more mask off. I think there's a lot of similarity into this sort of content to what, the way they presented Pentex in the werewolf line. Is that brash, satirical, anti-corporate stance, which nowadays just comes off like absolutely just straight up on the nose. I agree with a lot of what you said about that. That's That makes a lot of sense in terms of how to look at this thing with the, the passage of decades. We move on to a series of interview kind of panels where they have talking head imagery and like in the text of what they're saying between a kind of a media pundit and a Nova. And this is where they kind of take the satire off and put the put the message in the mouth of a character of this one character who's basically saying yeah this is all exploitative and crass and not what we should be how we should be treating people how should we be treating novas and you have the, the news anchor trying to divert from the, this person saying very on the nose proper things about what this is all actually going on and it caps off with a interview with a project utopia nova who says like yeah, we're being exploited. It's fine. I'm getting a lot of money. It it doesn't matter. So it, it's definitely a lot of that same stuff. This is in the section regarding the N network, which once again, back in the day, N exclamation point, very much a take on the E exclamation point, which was a celebrity focused cable television network. And this is very much an extension of that in the universe, going from normal celebrities to Nova celebrities, talking about just the media in general and how Novas are treated by the media, both negatively and positively. And the vast majority of this book is all of the in-universe stuff that first edition is well known for. There's very little out-of-play text in this. So all of this is going to be that you could have seen this on the op net or on the TV type of content. 
Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I, I just think it's it's interesting from an in-world setting standpoint that to have that sort of understanding of how Nova's see this as a whole and that there is pushback against the Project Utopia sort of exploitation of Nova's, that that is a present conversation and regular out there. So it's not just the Terrigen that are having that conversation. There are other Nova's as well that are having that conversation. And then we move on to talking about a company called Novelty Consulting. Uh, which is less focused on like combat, like the DeVries, the elites agencies are. And this is more corporate Nova work. It is a consulting agency that puts Nova's in contact with corporate clients to do that, Stein. And once again, it's mostly like corporate capital E espionage, private wars between corporate movers and shakers where assassins are being dispatched kind of stuff. Because like, I think we've mentioned it before that first edition Aberrant is very much an espionage heavy game it is about factions and conspiracies and things going on just behind the curtain that are terrifying. If the common people were to see it. It's why I think Trinity Continuum core works so well as its own setting. If you take some of the greater world and build from it, Mm -hmm. Because it's that's a could be played very easily as an espionage style game, and you are able to pull on these threads of of ideas from first edition to create an espionage scenario. A a there's a word I'm looking for. It doesn't matter. A corrupt scenario for them to investigate and then uncover that conspiracy. Conspiracy was the word I was looking for. Any thoughts on, on this part of it, Chaz, from just hearing about it from the outside observer? I, I, I think that all sounds interesting. I think, I think that kind of game is definitely laid down as a possibility in second edition. And so, like you said, being able to take these conspiracies, pull them into the milieu of second edition and use them for, for plots uh, seems like a, a good way to use this older material in kind of isolated chunks, depending on the tone of your game. And I guess that's a, another thing, just the idea of tone kind of sparked this, of Trinity Continuum, has, as opposed to the first edition line, has tone dials that you set where they, they give you, hey, here's a couple of different ways you can play this, a couple of different feels, where the first edition very much had one set tone. And so I, I think being more tone agnostic means that they don't dive as far into this one kind of avenue that they have here, but it, it is a tone that you could adopt. And that possibility exists, especially as you look at the way they set up tones for Aberrant to get into more corporate espionage, to get into more darker undertones, more the deconstructionist tone, I, I believe they talk about in Aberrant Core. So where, I guess that's the biggest difference is that the first edition stuff is uh, deconstruction and that the new stuff is not. Yeah. First not edition is definitely way. Iron Age deconstruction comics. It is clearly designed to poke holes in the four color superhero tropes and say, really, is that how things would go in the real world? And that brings us on to our next section, which does that again. Yeah, well. this is like everything that we've talked about now has been fine. It's very, very on the nose and very kind of a product of its time. From this point on, it really does get to stuff that should have been really reconsidered 
even then. Because we're talking about, we talk a lot about religion in yeah. the rest of this book. It is the overwhelming focus of the book is world religions and how they adapt to Novas and Project Utopia. And there are interesting bits here and there, but it's a lot of very, I don't know how to say it. It could have been done a lot better. <laughs> like, I'll just say it that, that way. I in, think ter in terms of sensitivity and yeah. uh, dealing with a myriad of multiple cultures. Yeah. I think it does try, it is a book from 1999. It does try and present a broad spectrum of this is how religion and novas would interact in, in India. This is how religion and novas would interact in the Catholic sphere. This is how religion and novas would interact in Islam and in Judaism also. I think those are the main, and some of the Protestant groups in America, those are kind of the main sections that it all grabs onto. There's a little bit of, of information about the Mormon church as well, mm -hmm. but it does so in a way that all of them are conspiracies of one form or another. And it's a bit, frustrating to see religion devolved to just another layer of conspiracy when it's like i uh, that is one take that you can absolutely go on and i i can see a game based around that with the right group being fine but it's not sensitive to the impacts of real faith that people have and how you portray that real faith against uh, a backdrop of a world like this in by making it all a conspiracy, it kind of diminishes the impact in some ways. Yeah. Now, fr from my perspective, I, I am not a fan of organized religion. The more organized and hierarchical, the less of a fan I am of it. But some of this stuff is just really on the nose and like not handled well, even from someone who's not particularly concerned with religion in their own personal life. Yeah. For but example, yeah. Opus Dei. Yeah is in this they are the conspiracy that they are from that series of books and movies that tom hanks was in where opus day are the bad guys and they are a conspiracy that are out killing people actively and and specifically are anti-nova and do not want the catholic church to embrace novas in any way and you have a good virtuous pope who is trying being very progressive in regards to novas they actually do a, a fairly well written uh, encyclical i think uh, the encyclical that gets posted in, in here regarding novas i believe it's called ad de lucha is uh, it's it's pretty well written it's it's a good thing it's just all of the background stuff about the opus day conspiracy stuff is kind of hackneyed <laughs> yeah it again it makes it all a conspiracy rather than presenting some opposing views that could create some interesting conversation about faith and novas in the game and instead is like there's this conspiracy and people are getting killed over this conversation. And it's like, okay, maybe that would happen in the real world, but probably not like this. And it's, it's just a bit, I think Scott's right. It's a bit too on the nose in a way that it's just like, I don't know what I would do with this with, unless I had a group of players that were comfortable doing this sort of plot, it would be very hard. Speaking of on the nose, then we have the section about the Baptists, uh, which it is essentially Westboro Baptist Church, but against Novas. It's not explicitly not the Church of Michael Archangel, 
but they do mention that in the terms of, well, this church, we don't condone violence, but they follow the Lord the way they, they listen to him kind of way. So it's a different anti-Nova Protestant uh, church. And I'm a Georgia boy. I've, I've lived with people to, for whom this is not a stereotype, but this is one hell of a stereotype. And it's the only thing that is prevented from the Baptist churches, Bible thumping cross burners, essentially, which, okay. Yeah. Any general thoughts about what we're saying about religion and Nova's there, Chaz? None of it surprises me. I, again, as a teenager in the early 2000s, I would have eaten this up. I have softened my stance on organized religion in seeing some of the good of community building that it can do. I am not a religious person myself, but I am not anti-religious the way I was back then. Again, I just think a broader perspective has uh, softened my position and and made me look at some of these things with more nuance. And that religion in particular is interpreted in Aberrant Second Edition offers some more of that nuance of having both the strong anti-Nova piece, but also having positive elements behind Nova culture. So... It's funny that you mentioned that because the next piece is a piece on the Unitarian Universalist, which is a very positive, uh, progressive stance on on Novas, which kind of balances out, but it is from a different religion. And so we're just getting the fire and brimstone from the Baptists, and we're just getting the, you know, peace and love from the Unitarian Universalist, which I think might display some biases. To, To be fair... Nuance was not a strength of the late 90s. It wasn't, not at all. <laughs> uh, there is a really cool piece of art that has like Cestus past packs in a in a stained glass window. I think that's that's something to note. There is good art in this, but yeah, you were saying, Josh? I kind of like the paganism bit. It's only yeah. two pages, mm-hmm. but it's this letter that this group, that, that this group of, of, I'm assuming Wiccans or at mm-hmm. least similar group that are reaching out to Antaeus and this other Nova called Belladonna and mm-hmm. saying, we would love you to co- for you to come to our great event that we're having. And the response that both of them have to this, you must be tied into our earth-based religion is interestingly uh, on point for the two characters. And, mm-hmm. and I like that the one that's like, oh yeah, sure, I'll go. How much money will you pay me? Is something that you see in the pagan sphere, by the mm-hmm. way, very, very definitely. Someone's like, oh, I'm a name. Are you going to pay me to come to your event? I was wondering what your opinion on that one would be with Josh. Yeah. I, I I love Antius's response because it is trying not to be dismissive while at the same time being incredibly dismissive, but also honest. Whereas yeah. Belladonna's is, yeah, sure, give me money. I'll do whatever you I'll say whatever you want. Right. His response is honest in a good way, though. Like I could see a group getting that response and being like slightly offended, but I can also see like He's trying to be polite mm-hmm. and trying to be like a moderately respectful. And I think that's true to his character, that he is not a horrible Nova amongst all the other ones that are um, out there. Mm-hmm. But still, like clearly having trouble relating to people. Right, right. It, it seems like this in particular is, is a gem in this book. So mm-hmm. it, it sounds like for, for all of the areas... Uh, for all of the areas where it suffers from the time it was written in, there's some really interesting creative pieces that you could pull out of here that that shine through. 
Absolutely. Then we move on to Judaism. Yeah. Which I can't say very many nice things about. It, it is um, not as good. If, if you want to slim it down to what they talk about, it is essentially Kabbalism, the state of, of Israel course. and the Mossad and like you, religion and, and manipulating the populace via that means. Yeah, that's not good. I, I come from a Jewish family, so I'm, I'm going to say yeah. that's not good. That's very reductive. Yeah. It, it is incredibly reductive and it, it's very Israel focused. While that is obviously a very important part of the Jewish culture, there are more than just Israeli Jews and more forms of Judaism that exist outside that and even within Israel. And it's, it, it's not great. I don't like it at all. We talk, then we move on to Islam, which is similarly dealt with, with, with the sort of sensitivity. I think it's not not great. There it's is a funny exchange. Super reductive. Super reductive. Although it, it is showing multiple viewpoints, each of those viewpoints are reductive. Right. Uh, because they are they are acknowledging that Islam is a varied thing. It's not all it's not a monolith, but within the the variations they do get pretty reductive. Although there is an incredibly funny, like in my opinion, fairly funny turn of phrase that gets happened is when they're talking about and a Nova who was going to be executed, who decided, I don't want to do that and killed a bunch of people after losing control of his powers. Uh, you have an exchange of basically talking head bits of Cestus Pax giving this very long and flowery and nuanced speech about this is a tragedy. Things have to be dealt with, with justly. We have to, to manage all this. And then it moves over to Count Oriz, who says, bravo. <laughs> just a one word while he's getting on a plane to go on vacation statement of well done yeah i laughed i admit to laughing as well because i was like that is a very orzay's mm -hmm. uh, response to the situation the other yeah. bit that stands out in this is something called the baraka which i believe i'm trying to look at exactly what branch of islam that it's in it's, I believe they're in all of them, but it's specifically the Sunni sects of, yeah, of yeah. Islam. These Baraka cults believe in consuming novas because they will gain some sort of power from them. They talk about this later in the book more uh, yeah, it, about these particular cults. But yeah. this is here because it's part of the adventure that's that's dealt with later in the book, but not good. Like, I, I wouldn't put this in a book. No, making making a whole group of flesh eaters out of uh, a religious group is not really the great angle to take. Didn't that come through into second edition though? I think the Baraka cults are in second edition. Yeah. Yes, uh, I believe they are. I'll have to, having read this, I'll have to reread that section to see how they managed that. But they do go on to talk about Hinduism, which definitely is talked about in second edition about the idea that the Hindu culture no, and Nova powers and abilities, you can make a lot of leaps between the two that would lead to people deifying Novas. And I think this, this section kind of makes sense from that perspective, but I would, I would really like to know someone of the Hindu faith's opinion on this. I, I, I do not consider myself educated enough to see, to know whether this is going over too many lines. I suspect that people would have some issues with it, but I, I don't know for certain. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a question that I would pose to someone that uh, is a, a faithful Hindu and say, how do you feel about this presentation? And it might be better than the others, but it, 
I have a feeling they would probably be like, oh, wow, this is reductive. Yeah, probably. We do get a really awesome Melissa Uran piece, which if people who are familiar with like second edition Exalted, it's very much of that style of, of anime inspired art. It's great. Oh, no, it's fantastic. But it is a of a Hindu, like multi-armed Nova before her parishioners. And it is very beautiful. Then we go on to cults, which I say this is less problematic because screw cults. I don't, I don't want to be sensitive towards cults. So I, I don't have a problem with that. But it has a pretty awful examples of a one in particular Nova cult that goes into this Nova who seduces and eats people under a religious guise of they're, they're ascending or they're achieving their immaculate soul by merging with me. They're becoming the becoming, I think she calls uh, it regularly. And it's interesting because they actually go into, Oh, this person got arrested and got on put on trial and then immediately got let off because she just mind controlled the jury and the judge. Like they make it very clear. And this is one of the things where you see Project Proteus, or I think it was the direct, either Proteus or Directive saying, oh, we just need to kill this person because the justice system is not going to work here. And again, I think a character like that is, is actually a great one. So one, I think your point about cults being... Uh, non-denominational cults mm-hmm. where they're not clearly tied to a a real world religion makes for easy space to tell weird stories without mm-hmm. offending anyone hopefully and also a character like that is a great flashpoint character for that grayness between Terrigen and Utopia mm-hmm. because Utopia is going to be like nope we've got a Medusa protocol file on this that shit is done versus the Terrigen who are like, that is her right as a sovereign being. Definitely a conflict point because I think Utopia's stance that this person just needs to be straight up killed. Like it, it, it's not okay to just go kill people. Like yeah. that's that's not how a justice system works. A Terrigen stance of uh, this person can keep eating people it is also not all right well, because it's, it's, she's eating people. It's also, right. it's interesting because they never, they don't give any indication that she had anything to do with the Terrigen. It was just a thing that they were, they were doing. I, it, it also shows the Terrigen a little bit for what they are of, they didn't make any comment on this because she wasn't one of them. Right. Yeah. That makes that Like, makes like we don't have to do anything about this. If she were one of ours, they probably would have been a bit more forceful with what was happening, but they were content to just let it be without comment, which is interesting because- I agree with you. If she were one of theirs, they would absolutely be behind her in lopstep of she is totally able to do this. These people do this of their own quote unquote free will. What's the problem? But they weren't. The rest of the book is dealing with the in-play information surrounding the adventure that they have in the rest of this. And while I think this is a very interesting adventure that has a lot of really cool things in it, it is 100% tied into the meta plot of first edition. It is almost, I think it would be impossible to extract this in any whole way from first edition meta plot. Because it's all about the slider murder. It's about the aberrant faction as they are in first edition. And it is a direct continuation of the main meta plot splash point that they deal with in in the core book. Like most of the adventures in first edition, it's impossible to pull it out from the meta plot because they are meta, they move the meta plot. They're designed to mm-hmm. move the meta plot. That's how they are presented to you as this is how the meta plot will play out at your table, which mm-hmm. is really helpful because they never, 
where they rarely did that in Vampire and the other Worlds of Darkness games, where it was like, this is how the meta plot plays out at your table. You can do that with Aberrant First Edition in a way that's really interesting. I don't hate this adventure by any stretch of the imagination, but I could not run this adventure as written, even, even back in 1999 with First Edition. There are things in it that I'm like, I'm not comfortable running that scene yeah it it definitely dips into like black dog territory but i think i think where it can be useful is like the little bits of it that you can extract out of it like for example the amp room the amp room is a really interesting setting it is a nova only club in ibiza the descriptions of what goes on there get a little extreme you might want to tone that back unless your table is down for that sort of thing but as a thing as a place in the in the world very interesting. This is actually where we first get the beginnings of the Queer Nova Alliance and the characters involved with that. Another great thing that they that they have extracted for us and moved us into the pretty well fleshed out into second edition. You get some insight into Count Orsis. He's a big character in this. It's very interesting to see how they handle that. You get his stat block and a pretty fleshed out personality file on him. So great advice on how to run him and a bunch of really interesting characters who you can pick out and use however you so desire. But yeah, I don't think we're going to go too hot heavy into the meat of the narrative of the adventure. Um, is there anything in particular that you think stands out from it, Josh? I like that it's world trotting, world hopping without mm-hmm. being railroady. Like it gives you lots of different set pieces to host these parts of the story i think you you get to marrakesh you get to ibiza you get to somewhere in the states i believe too maybe i'm wrong about that but you get paris maybe i'm wrong about that also it's been a a little it's a little jumbled because i kind of skimmed through this going i just want to get the the highlights of this i do like the character of charlotte holden Mm -hmm. but she's too tied into the kind of aberrant first edition uh the uh, that group of the called the aberrants in first edition that it's hard to pull her out and do much with her in the new version of the game. So again, I don't hate this, but oh, it does have more information on Cherubin, who who is an assassin for Project Proteus in this era, could be a member of Team Tonight in the new edition if you wanted to make him that, um, or he's just a horrible individual that you want nothing to do with because he is that. But you get a full bit of information about his character. So I think that's interesting as well. But I don't know. It's just tough to say with an adventure you wouldn't run Mm -hmm. what to do with it. My perspective on published adventures is that you can kind of do three things with them. One is as a quick start, you know, try something out at the table. Uh, An adventure, published adventure can give you a a good, quick on-ramp for that. The second is as an example, this is the kind of game and the kind of challenges that this role-playing game presents. And the third is like a a campaign. And it sounds like this was very much the campaign perspective of you are playing through a story. And then when you look back and talk to other people about their experience of the same story, you have this shared perspective on the events and characters of the world. So you can be like, oh yeah, when we did that, this is how we solved that problem. I think for that third kind to be successful, the game needs enough of a player base who are all going through the same experience or who can all speak back to the same experience. And bringing something like that 
into today where I think the, with so many games out there uh, and so many of us being polygamorous, uh, in that we are playing in many games and many of them are shorter, that it's hard to, to have that shared experience of a meta plot campaign. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And, yeah, and I think definitely with the, the more meta plot light version of what these new game with the training continuum version of the game, uh, I doubt we'll see anything like this. That being said, as Josh mentioned, Aberrant has some really solid campaign adventures that are published they have two books like i think it's year one or and year two aberrant worldwide which is very meta plot heavy books thing like all i believe most of the the faction books have campaigns in them they do and so you get a lot of fairly if if this is the style that you like it's also to be read as fiction is another way that you can enjoy this is with not really an intent to run it but as a here is a way that this story plays out and you can enjoy it as a story in and of itself. The third place is Monte Carlo, by the way. Monte Carlo. That's right. I knew, I knew it was somewhere in the Mediterranean, but I was mm-hmm. like, mm, I kept thinking you went to the U.S. for some reason, but you're right, Monte Carlo. So final thoughts on this book as a whole, Josh. I forgot I owned this book. <laughs> <laughs> And when I started reading it, I realized I had read it before. I had actually said that I hadn't read it before. I had owned it since like 2004, 2006 and never read it. But that's a lie. I remember reading the first 20 or 30 pages at the very least and going, oh yeah, I remember this. And I remember reading the adventure now, like after the fact and going, oh, I would never run this. This book is is one you can take or leave. If you are an aberrant completist who absolutely wants to know every layer of the meta plot, fine. You, you could read this and you would get that information, but I would rather read phase one and phase two, those more meta plot adventure books. And we're going to get something similar to that in second edition in Nova's Worldwide. So I think that's going to be interesting. Okay, cool. And I think that if you want meta plot those are the books to go to you could leave this book and that would be fine i think from an rpg archaeologist perspective it's a very interesting read but i would pick this thing apart for the things that you like and the things that you can use but i would not use it as is and nothing you guys have said has made me have any interest in going and reading this book (laughs) so that's that's where i stand as the uh, first edition outsider I mean, I remain bullish on first edition. I hope that I don't continue to have experiences like this one going back and rereading them. I don't think I will. I have pretty fond memories of the aberrant books I've read, but we'll see. Yeah, Uh, it will be interesting. I have been doing rereading of some key books recently to prep for for these conversations and because I want to just remember some of them. And there are parts where I go, oh, I would know. And then Mm -hmm. there are books where I'm like okay the majority of this is good just that I'm glad they didn't bring that over into the new edition right so we'll see how it goes okay well with that until uh next time keep your arms around the trinity continuum